Hi, this is Marlene, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or MP3 files can be found on MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Go to MarlenePardo.com for information on new book releases. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and can also be listened to via Alexa, Sonos, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for scary storytelling, Nightshade Diary for classic horror and adventure stories, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests on the show. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit Strange Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com or find us on Blogspot. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. This is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. How is everybody doing today? Good, I hope. I'm doing good. Everything is great. Um, as you know, still uh, trudging along in my new home up in North Florida. Uh, for those of you, I, uh, last week I, I had mentioned that I lost one of my roosters. Yes, I did. But, you know, like, like Dr. Malcolm said in Jurassic Park, life always finds a way. Um, some of you might be familiar if you've been with the show for a while. I have guinea hens that they make that weird noise. Well, I only had two of them. One of them, one of them I brought up with chicks, and the other one I found out later that they kind of pick on on uh, on chickens. I mean, in other words, they're bullies. But anyway, to make a long story short, they're so quaint and unusual that I've kept them, especially my male, and. Um, he, uh, all of a sudden, uh, I have very large trees with big roots in, in the, in the property. And there was a board that we had placed there, basic, basically making like a small, uh, cover. Next thing I know, I uncovered because I was going to move something. And there's my Guinea sitting on top of about 20 eggs. <laughs> and the thing is, this is the first time they've ever nested. And, um, I had, I had never pursued it because I had read that they're really not that good as far as parents because they kind of abandon their nest sometimes, but I'm going to let it go through. So my point being, I lost a rooster, but now I have a guinea hen for just for the first time has sitting and trying to hatch. I don't know how many eggs are going to come out of there. So that's going to be interesting and I'll keep you guys updated on that. And the truth is at this point, since she kind of snuck that in me, have you noticed all my all my chickens and things? They kind of do that to me, you know. They kind of sneak in and do the. Uh, I'm gonna raise uh, some chicks. I really don't know when they're gonna hatch. I'm. They, they usually follow the timelines of you know chickens twenty, twenty one day, twenty two. But at this point, I have no idea how long she's been on the egg. So I, I've got to run out there and scoop them up because that is the. That is the problem out here. As a matter of fact, we have a neighbor that's got property way over it. And he has a few chickens. And I heard from another neighbor, because you know how that travels around. Forget the phone. It's word of mouth that there was a fox running around and had taken a few of this guy's chickens because he couldn't keep him in a coop. He can't catch them. 
All right, but I'm, I don't know where they roost, but bottom line, he had lost a few um, of his chickens to a fox that came in. So now I'm like wigged out because I don't want to lose. Don't Not only do I not want to lose the guinea, I don't want to lose my chick. So I'll keep you guys abreast of that. And then let's get on to the good part. Yes, I know this is a story about paranormal, supernatural, things of that nature. But, you know, I always interject about my, my, uh, my adventures in the chicken kingdom. Let me first of all get on to the sponsor for the show, which is Primary Notary Services. And they, this company works in the state of Florida, the entire state of Florida. And what they do is they provide full notary services at your convenience when you need it and where you need it. And what they do is they travel to your location at a time that is suitable for you. They're fast, friendly, reliable, and above all, they are professional. And they keep your privacy in mind. They can, they're mobile. Uh, they can provide these services throughout the state of Florida. They can assist with immigration forms. Uh, they do a virtual assistance services, title processing. They can officiate at your wedding. They also have remote online notary services, which means that they can notarize uh, documents online. They also have a bilingual staff, English, Spanish, and all their notaries are background check, which means certified, bonded, and insured, and they're available seven days a week after hours, all of these things, especially for people sometimes that need to have a last minute notary sometimes at hospitals, very unusual places. So give them a call at 844-423-7773. Again, the name is Primary Notary. They can be reached at 844-423-7773 or email them at hello at primarynotary.net. Now, since we got that out of the way, let's get on to the good part, which is who I have as a guest. And this is the first time that this gentleman comes to Stories of the Supernatural. And I know you're going to be very excited when I go ahead and uh, let you know a little bit about him. Uh, his name is Dr. Piero Calvi Pericetti. He's Italian-born and Scottish author and speaker. He's a medical doctor originally specializing in public health and disaster management. Uh, in 2004... A simple anecdote narrated by his wife triggered an intellectual interest at first and then a truly scholarly passion for psychic research, especially for the study of scientific evidence pointing to the survival of human personality after bodily death. Uh, He's personally trained with his intellectual hero, Dr. Raymond Moody, which I'm sure many of you might be familiar with, which he was the first physician to write about near-death experiences back in 1975. Uh, Dr. Parasetti's become convinced that mind and consciousness cannot be reduced to the activity of the brain. And in a way which we do not understand, it survives the death of the body. In 2008, he published his first book, 21 Days into the Afterlife, uh, hailed by New York Times bestselling author Michael Prescott as the best introduction I've seen to the survival hypothesis. The book received very complimentary reviews by specialists and lay public alike. Is translated to six languages and went on to become an internet publishing success. He has other books, which are Adventures in Psychic Research and Apparitions Proof of Survival from 2014. And I'd like for you to help me welcome uh, Dr. Parasetti. How are you doing today? Hello. I am very well, Marlene. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And 
Thank you for all your listeners who have made time to listen to what I, I have to I, say. I, I, everybody, all my guests sometimes listen to my chicken stories, but <laughs> I have my audience. I've oh, I've been raising chickens since I even lived in Miami. One of those things you did. Uh, yeah. I even transported a bunch of chickens, and people, <laughs> they have they're part of the uh, the background of my show because people follow it along like a like a soap opera kind of thing. But anyway, fantastic, um, fantastic. Uh, the when you mentioned, I remember reading Dr. Moody's books many years ago, mm -hmm. um, where it was so groundbreaking because he conducted it. His observations were basically almost you want to say on a scientific level Completely. as a doctor. Absolutely, there was he wanted he didn't want to prove it or disprove it. He just wanted to get the data, analyze it, and then basically he came to the conclusion that we um that there is something uh beyond the physical in other words that's when we had um people that were being able to describe things going on either seeing their bodies while they were being worked on seeing events or people in other parts of the let's say the hospital and it was uh i, I want to i believe that it was groundbreaking what he described and i imagine that now especially after 1975, that now they have more ways of uh, basically bringing people back, uh -huh. for lack of a better word. Uh -huh. um, have you found in your research that some of those incidents, as far as the reports, have become more common? Not necessarily. NDEs, near-death experiences, is one of the pillars, but by no means the only one. You know, when people hear that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a medical doctor and I mm -hmm. deal, I double in the survival, they always say ah, NDEs and NDEs are super important. Yes. But that's very sort of associated with the medical profession and the medical field. Mm -hmm. But it, the NDEs are one of about, I would say, 12 different fields of investigation, scientific investigation, all coherently and consistently pointing to the survival uh, of personality to physical death. Now, concerning NDEs, what can I tell you? The um, handbook of near-death experiences, which is the reference book, the scientific reference book used by health professionals who want to know about this phenomenon, was published already a few years ago under the uh, very learned uh, editorship of Edward Kelly, and the book has 140 peer-reviewed scientific papers in the bibliography. So we're, we're, we went way beyond the anecdotal and we went into completely the, the, the scientific field. Now, uh, people are obviously struck and, and, and their fantasy, everybody, my own, everybody's fantasy is, is struck by the fact that uh, in the years, uh, have this incredible feat. They, they see themselves, They, as you correctly said, they see and are able to describe the uh, what, what was on during the suscitation. They even can describe particular details that they have perceived outside the building where they were being uh, resuscitated. And all that points extraordinarily to the fact that consciousness can operate outside the physical body. However, let me remind you and all our listeners that the truly 
the more fundamental, fundamental and truly spectacular feature of the NDEs is that people who have no functioning brain whatsoever have an experience whatever kind of experience that in itself is extraordinary and that flies in the face of you know the materialists and the physicalists who say that mind is only the electrochemical activity of the brain there's it's just a matter of neurons and cells okay so what you're saying is people that their brain is not working not functioning nothing so let me let me take you on a very short medical ride. It's easy. It's not difficult to follow. Okay, we NDEs happen in a variety of situations. However, we often refer to what happens during um, following cardiac arrest because we know the physiology very well. We know very well what happens to the brain after uh, the heart the heart stops beating, and. You know, the first thing is that in about a second and a half, two seconds, lights go out. We lose consciousness. We faint, essentially, right? Mm. Uh, about 10 seconds after that, the breathing stops. And you know that no heartbeat and no breathing is the definition, medical definition of death, right? So at that stage, the person is dead. Within another... 10 seconds, so about 20 seconds from cardiac arrest, the EEG, the electroencephalogram, that's the electrical activity of the brain, goes flat. We speak about flat liners, don't we? Yes. So, already then, the person is medical, clinically and legally dead in that condition. What's really interesting is that within another about 10 seconds, so we are at 30 seconds following cardiac arrest. There are centers very deep into the brain. For instance, you know the gagging reflex, the fact that if you touch the back of your throat, we inevitably yes. gag. Mm -hmm. The corneal reflex, if we touch our, our eye, we inevitably sort of move away and close your eye. These are very, very old, evolutionarily speaking, reflexes that depend on very, very simple connection of neurons very deep into the brain. If the fact that those reflexes are out tells us that the brain is out. It is not only the cortex, it is not only the inner part of the brain, the most fundamental processes of the human brain are not functioning. Now, in those conditions, people report a complex, highly structured experience, which they described as more real than reality. And the interesting thing is that this experience is not like, you know, the hallucinations you have when you take LSD or drugs, which can be of, you can, you know, dream up all sorts of things. No, mm -hmm. as we know already from doctors, Dr. Moody's work so many years ago, the, uh, the experience is fairly common. I'm not saying it's uh, identical for everybody, but people of very diverse sex, race, 
ethnicity, religion, socioeconomic background, sexual orientation, whatever you, what you want to throw into the mix, they all have a number of common features. The experience, you know, you and your listeners have heard about this, you know, the autoscopy, living the body, seeing the body, and then entering the tunnel, and the sensation of ascending, and then getting into the light. There's a number of steps which are extraordinarily repeated across cultures, epochs, genders, everything. So, number one, the very fact that people without a functioning brain have an experience is extraordinary. Number two, the fact that very different people report the same kind of experience is even more extraordinary. And now, let me ask you one thing, Marlene. Yes. How much do you think you remember from your high school years? In my Memory. conscious mind, very little. My subconscious mind, everything. Oh, but I'm talking about the notions, what we spent so hard time trying to learn. and, and Oh, you and, mean you know. as far as studying? Yes, oh. yes. Aha. Uh -huh. Oh, it, isn't it? it very, unless it's something that I'm using now in present day, uh -huh. very little. <laughs> there you are. And I could say the same for university. You know, you spent yes. years painful. I mean, you honestly. Yes. Anyhow, and you don't remember. Now, the possibly the most extraordinary things is that the details of the near-death experience are remembered in minute particulars 20-25 years after the experience. So people without a functioning brain can build and retrieve very detailed memories of their experience. But so you understand you, why? When, when, I guess my please. question is, usually you hear that when your brain is not functioning, uh -huh. that, that's it. In other words, that, that, that you're like, well, like you said, dead. So well, basically people are being brought back even after their brain oh, is not functioning? Absolutely. The brain, it, there's plenty of cases where they have been, quote unquote, dead for 20, 25 minutes. And during that period in which there's no brain activity whatsoever and the person, to clinical terms and legal terms, they're dead, they have these extraordinary experiences. And that's fantastic. And we're not talking of one case or two. In literature alone, there's about 21,000 well-documented cases. And I'm talking about medical literature. Okay, imagine what's not documented, but and still happens. Extraordinary. So it is, a, in fact, a very common phenomenon. Let me ask you, so what does that do to someone in the medical field? At which point do they can say, I'm going to pronounce this person dead, considering what you just said? Ah, uh, Yeah, it's, they have to wait. They have to wait, of course. And... Uh, if if the, the they have ways we have ways to understand if the resuscitation work is likely mm -hmm. uh, to happen or not and in fact if whether the, the if the heart restarts the person comes back to life if the heart does not start then unfortunately the person crosses the threshold right right finally, I, finally. I have heard of people who like you said the brain is dead and sometimes they will keep the body 
with machines pumping. So uh, if, if, let's say yeah. for organ donation, for example. But it's different. It's different. In that case, the heart works. Okay. The heart muscle works. So they, they might be uh, ventilated with, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, uh, artificially, they breathe artificially, but the heart works. So they're not dead. They're, they might be quote unquote brain dead, but they're not right, dead. Right, right, right. Which I always thought was the determining factor whether somebody was truly dead. In other words, if their brain activity was there, but maybe they couldn't breathe on their own and they were being kept yes. alive, they were still alive. Correct. But once the brain that was gone, and of course the heart, like you said, then that was when the person was truly clinically dead. And Correct. you're telling me that people are remembering, oh, that's incredible. It is phenomenal. Listen, I mean, there's there's a, a very easy way to sum up all this, Marlene. Virtually all the medical researchers, and now Moody was the first one, and now there are there's quite a number who've devoted all their lives to the in-depth study of the near-death experience. They're all convinced that it is, quote, highly suggestive of life after life, end quote. Yes, I believe it. And, when and, you and, when you think of that, um, and then you hear these stories, exactly like what you said, the near death, the tunnel, uh -huh, where uh -huh. they're sometimes even given a choice. Yes. Oh, you, yeah. Oh, yes. Do you want absolutely. to return? Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Or there's the there is the, there's there's the life review typically, mm -hmm. which again is is dead not against, but I mean is incompatible. With the teachings, at least of the, of the of the you know the Christian religion, which speaks about uh, a judgment and and there's, yes. there's one God that's there either to you know damn you're either damned or saved and and blah blah, mm -hmm. not at all. What consistently we are told, both by NDEs and by spirit communicators talking to us through mediums and other channels, plenty of mm -hmm. other channels. Consistently, they tell us that uh, what we go through is in fact a life review. We, we are made to relive every single instant of our life. It, they say it's a three-dimensional cinema. You relive your life at right. incredible speed. You rethink all the thoughts, you refill all the emotions, and you are conscious of the effect of your yes. actions on exactly. others. On others, yes. And you yourself do the judging. You're helped reflecting on what happened in your life. And the, the exercise is not meant to issue a judgment. The exercise is meant to learn. Right. And a lot of people I know, depending on the religions, there's connotations of punishment. In other words, we're going to get the, the uh, you know, in other words, it, it, the best even with, let's say, Christian is purgatory. But nine times yeah. out of 10, you know, you're it's it's you're going to go either up or down. <laughs> this is not what we hear and not what we hear from people who died when they were Christians. Yes, and exactly. In interestingly, and and with this, I will conclude. Then maybe we can we can move to to other subjects because there's plenty they can talk to. Yes. But you know, another very interesting feature of NDEs is that the people who've had them come back transformed. Yes. There's a, an array of psychological and behavioral changes, which again are appear immediately after the experience 
and last a lifetime. People lose their fear of death, for instance, because they have died. They have experienced first person what happens afterwards. So any fear of death is gone. If anything, they long to go back to yes. because have, it is, have, it is have you come across which I always wonder about a person that's a true atheist. By this I mean huh? I don't mean an agnostic. I mean a true atheist that doesn't believe at all that there is anything beyond the, the physical body. That they've come back have you read of any information that they're transformed in their belief systems? Absolutely. And I, can, I cannot quote now on top of my mind examples. But what, uh, what, uh, as part of these, of these um, changes, psychological and, and, and changes in behavior, what's interesting is people who were religious before the experience become less religious and more broadly spiritual. Okay. They they lose touch with the dogma, with the details of their tradition, whatever Christian or whatever it is, and they embrace a more a, a much more open, broad broad uh, spirituality. And that's that's really interesting. People uh, lose any interest in material possessions and success in the material world, and they develop an interest for knowledge for its own sake for helping others it's it's extraordinary is a is a very beneficial thing i mean dying right no no i've heard that that, good. that it uh yes that overall it's a it's a good experience for the people that decide to come back for whatever the reasons uh-huh uh and like you said their their outlook on life has totally changed no matter what they what they were like before yes indeed experience indeed. absolutely and so let's go on. You were saying about other areas. Uh, yes, I, let me. Um, I hope you and, and especially your listeners will will forgive me for a little bit of self promotion. But right I've ahead. embarked. I've embarked in a, in a in a project. I make no mystery, Marlene, of the fact that the recent pandemic took uh, a toll on me. It affected all of us, for okay. sure, and everyone in their own way. And I took it really badly. I, I had a bout of, of uh, mild to serious depression and anxiety. It's a, it was a dark period. Nevertheless, being the good soldier that I am, I, I tended to my interests. And during that period, I managed to research and write an entirely new book. What a great way and, to make use of the time. Yes, this is excellent. Well, you know, and and I'm, 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 I must say I am modestly proud of it because it's a, it's a slightly different take on the subject of, how could you say, the geography of the afterlife. Mm -hmm. Let me try to explain. There's, in Europe, we have... Uh, 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 very, very popular. I don't understand. I don't understand why they're not popular in the U.S., but I understand they're not in Europe. They are very popular. Travel guides called Lonely Planet, and they've been going for years and decades now. And Lonely Planet guides are based on the accounts actually sent by travelers. Somebody goes to Thailand as a backpacker comes back, writes a report, send it to the headquarters in the Netherlands saying, I've stayed at this hostel, this was good, and I suggest you go there because it's cheap and blah, blah, etc. Right. Another person with more means also goes to Thailand and sends back a report on the luxury resort and, and blah, blah. And so they collate, 
collect that's, and collate is a beautiful thing and every year there's an updated version because they receive more uh, more reports so it's a very good system so i had the idea of compiling the lonely planet guide to the afterlife <laughs> to, to the lonely okay. planet guide to what happens to the process of dying death and what comes afterwards and to do so i looked at the testimony we receive from three categories of sources number one deathbed visions and i will explain to you in a moment what they are number two near-death experiences which we've discussed in superficially but now we have an idea what they are number three after death communication the testimony we receive from people who allegedly have died and speak to us through a, a, a variety of channels the most the, the best known is mediums but there are many others instrumental transcommunication electronic voice phenomena automatic writing there's an, a number of ways in which for now 200 years we have uh, collected evidence about after-death communication so since i am a, a, a man of science myself and a man of reason i don't want my readers to take such testimony at face value so the first part of the book is a sort of a CSI crime scene investigation or <laughs> it's a sort of a, okay. as a as a medical detective investigation into these three sources we described the phenomenon we looked at what the phenomenon indicates we examine critically examine all possible alternative explanations okay and at the end we rationally conclude that it is reasonable to believe them it's reasonable to to believe that ndes are who they say they are people who have momentarily died went into the afterlife took a look and came back and uh, and we have reasons to believe that deathbed visions which is a fabulous a marvelous phenomenon i'll talk to you about in a moment these are really momentary peaks into what awaits people after their passing and we have all reasons the evidence is colossal the evidence has been uh, for for after death communication has been gathered for and studied for yeah i would say 180 years now by some of the finest minds on the planet including hear me well five nobel prize winners and the only conclusion an unbiased observer who has engaged with the evidence can draw is that yes these are discarnate entities who once walked planet earth and now go on existing in a non-material dimension we call the spirit world so collecting collating and, and representing, re, re, not regurgitating, because I use a lot of the quotes themselves, but it's not a book only of quotes. It's a book that, you know, I, 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 I 
provide the quotes, I provide the references, but there's a bit of explanation and 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 framework from uh, from me. The book is called Step Into the Light, and uh, it's available as as usual on Amazon. Or and I invite everybody who's listening and wants more information or wants to make contact with me to visit drparisetti.com. Dr as doctor. And then one word, drparisetti, Paris like the city in France, E-T-T-I at the end, drparisetti, drparisetti.com. Now, and there you find my books, you find free articles, uh, um, the apparitions book is there for free, people can download it for free, and blah, blah. Now, back to deathbed visions. Have you ever heard about yes. this you, yes you did. this, is, this is about are we talking about people that are dying that see the this deceased Correct. relatives right Precisely. i mean i've even heard of nurses oh. that work that they they know almost when Marlene, going this to the subject is so important that it is mm -hmm. taught at nursing school there's yes. a subject at nursing school because nurses have to be prepared then they decide themselves what they make about the phenomenon but they they are prepared to deal with people who report having these visions yes now yes a few interesting facts about this uh, about 10 percent of people are conscious at the moment of their passing okay one in ten more or less of this 10 percent two Thirds report visions of what appears to be the afterlife. They interact with people who are said to be relatives who have come to bring them over to the afterlife. That in itself is extraordinary. Okay, um, what happens? Uh, this 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 happens in the. 36 to 48 hours before passing. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's been in pain and slumped in bed for maybe weeks with, uh, with terminal disease or what have you, all of a sudden is seen to perk, perk up, yes, sit up I in bed, heard of that. raise yes. their hands, and they describe, they talk about something that they only they can see, except the rare cases of shared death experiences, but we want to want to, want to go into that. They describe, you know, heavenly realms, and then they say, oh, here's that, and they engage in conversation, sustained conversation, and they, 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 their faces lit up, and it's, it's an extraordinary, it's very transformative experience. And then they go. Now, obviously, uh, this, it, it has been, the, the skeptics and the materialists have tried to explain away the phenomenon, in a number of ways and those who will have the patience of going through the chapter in my book they will see that none of these explanations stand up to facts they are medically scientifically debunked the debunkers are debunked because sorry yes. it, it doesn't work like that yes. we don't have time to get into that now but let me tell you two things which are uh, truly extraordinary Oh, now I only remember one, and I said two. Let me start with No, one. don't worry. Go ahead. Go, go with it. <laughs> so, the idea that 
deathbed visions are fantasies, a desire, something that right. a story that we invent to ourselves that our psyche somehow invents to give us comfort at the moment of death is blown out of the water by this simple fact. Evidence shows that those who think they are going to die but end up making a recovery don't have deathbed visions. Those who think they will make a recovery but end up dying do have deathbed visions. That's extraordinary. That, it's right. hard it, it, evidence. It happens despite what the expectations are. Absolutely. It's hard evidence telling us that it is proximity to the death of the physical body, which is the trigger for the experience. It is like, you know, the brain was, the physical brain was a filter that excludes a lot that we don't, we only see what's important for life on earth and material and evolution and blah, blah. But when we come close to death, that filter opens and we are allowed to see what happens. Yes, another, now I remember what the other uh, pretty intriguing, pretty intriguing particular. We say it that those who have uh, deadbed visions engaged in communicating, they talk to relatives or more rarely to spiritual figures, but generally it's relatives, dead relatives. That includes a non-negligible number of very well-documented cases in which the person having the vision speaks to somebody they did not know he or she was dead at the moment right. the vision is had. And this is fantastic. How do you explain that? Right. They have other, no... than, other than the fact that somehow, somehow, in a way, I keep saying, I do not have explanation for these things, right? I'm not one of those who say, oh, there's a quantum field. Or... The honest answer is that we do not. We only know it happens. And the facts, the fact that it happens, point to survival of personality, to physical yes. death. And, and I've even heard of patients that sometimes have dementia and Alzheimer's become lucid. Oh, yes. Terminal lucidity. Um, Absolutely. As far as recognizing in that conversation that you're talking about? I had I had a, a, a snippet of that experience personally with my, my wife's mother. Who, who poor woman died with a very severe Alzheimer and I would not say she regained lucidity but the, the poor woman the only thing she would say for the last few months of her life would be Jesus have mercy that's all she could say and the, the afternoon before she eventually passed she talked about seeing Paddy, but then my wife reflected and probably she said daddy, okay. not Paddy. Mm -hmm. And and so there were a few things, so it's not a, a, a major case, I think it was just a brush for us, but mm -hmm. we saw it, we saw it first person, yes. that was, that was interesting. So, if I may not, it, please make abstraction from my, from my own book, and, and but that what is interesting is that 
if you look at the testimony of deathbed visions, near-death experiences, and spirit communicators, it is consistent. They all describe the same things in a consistent, coherent ma manner. So that's even more interesting because we, when you have different sources completely independent of each other, different processes approaching death, temporarily dying or dying and, and, and that's it. And they all describe the same steps, the same things. It is super interesting and super, for me, evidential, frankly. Right, of course. These are not people that could collude to say, we're going to say the same version of the story. <laughs> and they're like, uh, no, it's because you said different backgrounds, different Completely. ethnicities, whatever, Completely. countries, uh, as far as even cultural expectations of what dying totally. is. Totally. Uh, they describe totally. the same thing. And now what, what do you think happens to people when they die mm -hmm. and they become trapped? In other words, you, you know, you talk about the near-death experience, which is where maybe loved ones come and guide you until you come. There's nothing uh -huh. to fear. Uh -huh. Then you hear, like you said, where you have um, spirit communication after death, yes. where you have human spirits, whether it's fear of what you said, uh, judgment, mm -hmm. or maybe, I don't know, or... or um, I've even heard uh, people sometimes that die when they're under anesthesia or unconscious or violently that they don't realize yes. that they died. Remember remember the medieval Christian prayer saying, God save me from a sudden death. Yes. Because we need to die prepared. Right. Let me take a long way home to answer your question, which is certainly relevant, but it's part of a bigger thing. And let me, uh, uh, again, I mean, if, if, if you look at the second part of, of Step into the Light, then we look at the stages. What happens before, what happens at death, what happens afterwards, and the many stages that follow. And I would, it is always my, my, my pleasure and my desire to share a couple of messages of uh, comfort and hope before, before I answer your, your question. Because two of the great fears, well, the great fear is ceasing to exist. Right? Death equals annihilation. That's not true. That is obviously blatantly not true in general. Then the two sub-fears concern the idea of dying alone a lot of people are dead scared of when i die i don't want to be alone and blah blah well we're not if we are to believe deathbed visions we die surrounded by if we don't die suddenly or in particular circumstances you know a, a quote-unquote normal death happens with the comfort and the love and the support of our loved ones and failing that we have spiritual guides or, or higher beings who come and help us through so that's very comforting i think the other comforting message is that from the point of view of consciousness awareness the moment of passing is a non-event 
people, some people are terrorized, maybe death is painful, it's a terrible experience. Death is a non-experience. It is, the people feel an almost dramatic difference when they die in pain or they, they maybe they cannot, sorry, they cannot breathe or they have some cancer pain or something and all of a sudden all that goes right. and say, what was, what's going on here? I could not breathe a moment ago. I was in atrocious pain and all that is gone. That is the only signal then the transition has happened. For most people, the continuity is such that, as, I, as you correctly said, some do not realize they actually have died. Okay? And, and for many, the, 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 the first few moments in, in the early afterlife, so to speak, are a little confusing, are a little bewildering, because... Uh, the, the, the early days in the spirit world, we, we maintain the sensation of a, of a physical body, although we don't. It's based on memory, we don't know. But the fact is that, that people say, how, 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 how can I feel so alive and can I feel so myself and I see my body lying on, on, on the deathbed? And so it is a little confusing. However, from there onwards, there are a, a, quite a number of steps which we will not describe now because it would take uh, time. The point, and here eventually I come to uh, answer your question, is that imagine you're at the bottom of the sea and imagine there's a tiny bubble of air. What happens to that bubble? It travels upward. Can it do anything else? No. There you have a very good metaphor for the travel of souls in the afterlife. For some, the movement is smooth and quick and fast through the various stages, through the various levels of uh, increasing less mater materiality, less phys physicality and more uh, spirituality. People say in higher vibrational states. I don't know what that means. It's, it's again, it's a metaphor. Uh, but what what I'm saying is that that the the, the 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 levels of the afterlives differ in in the in in their the fact that they're less physical and they're more spiritual. And we all go upwards and onwards, and we cannot do ni neither us nor the circumstances we died in can do anything for that. It happens that somebody who, who for instance, I mean, people who have a strong attachment to, uh, to, to earthly things, to material, to material things, for instance, or somebody who is attached to power, or somebody who is an alcoholic or a drug addict. Unfortunately, we don't become saints and perfect people just by dying, you know. It's a lot of people think that, that you grow wings. It is die. not the case. It will eventually happen, but uh, there's a process to get there. So let's, let's put it this way. Certain bubbles get to the surface very quickly. Others take more time, and they may remain 
quote-unquote stuck and we speak about earthbound spirits and all that right. and uh, there too we are told there are helpers and guides who you, you are sent to help people in their natural inevitable organic process of ascending that yeah, will I eventually even help. at that point we always still have free will as far as that process. we do we do we do but then again those who will have the the goodness of reading the book will read the quotes that you know a couple of the levels of the afterlife uh, call it first heaven and second heaven that that that's mm -hmm. paradise as a, as we imagine it it's, right. it's a most beautiful environment where we meet a lot of people mm -hmm. and we gravitate with people at, at our with with whom we share interest and worldview and and you know wisdom and everything so we're we're in a very comforting environment we keep on doing the activities that we did on earth and scientists keep studying their things and musicians keep perfecting their art and blah blah and it, who could possibly want to live that well right. we're exactly. told that at some stage you grow weary of that and you feel this pull towards higher spheres less towards light towards warmth towards love less things and more feelings and more spirituality it happens and you say it's it's yeah it's a choice but it's it's a choice that you're naturally brought to making right because at some point i imagine you realize I don't have a physical body, so all the things I needed when I was alive, as in shelter, clothing, all the things Absolutely. that we attached to, Absolutely. don't matter. Point. But I imagine point. that it takes a while it for does. that to, because if it you does. look at your life, you, be, you know, by this, I don't mean you have to be greedy, but we, we are, the human condition is that we become attached to places, to things, to clothing, to our family, to uh, shelter, um food <laughs> yeah yeah i know absolutely absolutely um and it takes a while to realize without a physical body there is no need for any of those things so but, i imagine that's what you talk the attraction to that lessens completely and then you get attracted by less material things and you soar as, as inevitably as a bubble does yes yes and that's that's very you know uh, and the thing is, I think that we have those desires or some more fundamental because it's what anchors us to life, which is the way it should be, by the way. Uh -huh. um, so to let go of that anchor takes, I imagine, sometimes a little bit of time. And, and it, it, it differs from, from person to person. And always remembering that we are told time and time again that our concept of time does not apply there. So it's, it's hard. It's hard it to, is hard. to conceive Very that difficult. because nowadays <laughs> we run everything on the clock. <laughs> yes. So many things, Marlene, is that, that that's difficult to 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 you know, come on. I am a Western educated medical doctor. I was it was hammered into me that all that can possibly exist is matter. If right. you cannot touch it, if you cannot measure it, it doesn't exist. Right. And, and therefore, as we said before, that, that mind, personality, who we are, is simply a matter of neurons and, and, and uh, hormones and uh, 
neurotransmitters and all that. When this stops working, lights out, it's finished, there's nothing. And I, you know, I took that for granted. And it has been, uh, it has been a long and at times a little arduous path to, to come round and, and surrender to the evidence. And, and I keep saying I did not have an experience myself. I came close a couple of times, but through other people, never had one myself. Yeah. I'm not those who, one of those who, oh, I've had an NDE or, you know, I saw the light on the way to Damascus. That's not my incarnation this time is about studying, learning, thinking, reflecting. And, and through that, through looking at the evidence and challenging the evidence and researching and asking questions, I eventually, I eventually came to the conclusion that, yes, in a way which we do not understand, we go on living. <laughs> now, now that you mentioned it, I want to go through. You said the incarnation. Do you yes. think that we are on, that we come we back? Are, in other words, that this is, but I'm going to do that, that this is in a way is a schoolroom or a classroom. Yes. where we improve yeah. what we need to improve so this and the next life are both classrooms and life appears as a gigantic grand scheme that involves many many sojourns in in the physical plane and many sojourns in the spiritual plane of the afterlife and every in this is not going around in circles you know we're not at the same level all the time this is a lot more like a spiral we keep coming up every time we come to earth we come uh, with more wisdom more experience right. and we have a different life and that is somehow uh, i think mistakenly interpreted as the karma business right no it's not exactly that and i i, I don't speak it's not it's not my wisdom okay i mean no no no, no trust no. I me exactly this is what, what we're mean. told this is what we're told by our sources and our sources say that this grand scheme of school on planet earth or other planets or school mm -hmm. in the material world yes. followed by school in the spiritual world followed by school again at a different level with different experiences and this keeps going up and up and up until the point where the soul has experienced enough has grown enough in wisdom where there's no return to school we can finally eventually soar back into the the ground of being that universal consciousness you can call it god if you're a religious person mm -hmm. i use uh, i use the the word you know what a cosmic consciousness whatever the ocean of consciousness that generated mm -hmm. as as an individual wave still belonging to that ocean and as a wave, we have experiences and we transform and we change and eventually we merge back into the ocean. Right. Because even the concept of karma, you know, if, if at that point we are aware of every action, every word, every thought, you know, that there, in other words, there is no hiding from the truth when oh. you're on that point. So you better than anyone would understand what it is that I need to improve or what my intentions were how's that 
what you know what goes on in here the only one that that's inside your skin is you yeah yeah so the only one but that understands then, what you're who you are as far as even a being even if uh -huh, you're not incarnated uh -huh. is you there that's it no. so you are your best uh how like you said the karma if there's anybody that would understand what lessons you need to learn it would yeah. be yourself indeed but i am um, always you know there's so much we don't understand there's oh, actually course. there's so little we understand for instance why don't we remember our previous lives well we can, we do we do you know with with uh, hypnotic regression and everything mm -hmm. but it's buried and hidden and in why 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 do we why don't we know why don't we have a uh, why don't we remember life in the spiritual world and do away with all the suffering and the pain and the fear of death and all that i don't know we, we don't know these things i must i must and be honest I, I, I think personally that it would make living life on this plane too complicated for us uh-huh i think we might end up in insane asylums because it would just be too much of a distraction having That's all of that yeah. yeah it would be like you you would be i i, I want to say that our ignorance is there on purpose mm. as far as actively reminding on a conscious level on a conscious yes. level past lives past mistakes because we have to think sometimes maybe in prior incarnations we might have done horrible terrible things oh, we unfortunately we probably have we probably have i know i know yeah good point good point and and uh, uh, unfortunately you know pain fear and suffering are a necessary part yes of this learning of this schooling and uh, we, since we are biological beings uh, we would only like to have the happy hormones and be in a state oh, yes, of bliss all the time yeah, isn't yes. it <laughs> unfortunately yes. it's not to be <laughs> no 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 i mean well you know and i'm going to mention something real quick um i was i, w I was a practicing hypnotherapist for many years i don't do that now all but right. i did do on occasion past life regressions all right and um you know you, you have people that come with expectations saying i know i lived uh whatever mm. egypt or i was uh yes. scarlet o'hara <laughs> you know and you know the majority of my clients had little if no um acquaintance with hypnosis so you know there was a process to get them to go down and i would tell them basically what we're going to ask is for you to see the most appropriate thing for you and some of them were very surprised <laughs> to of see themselves uh -huh, in uh -huh. the most unusual simple mundane basic, nothing like they didn't leave a village they were sheep herder <laughs> you know you know that and then sorry i'm looking at the time i will have yes. to leave you no, and I your understand. listeners very soon but there's there's because you touched on a very interesting point uh, it, what the skeptic says oh this past life regression so that all everybody mm -hmm. says there there've been napoleon or or julius caesar or whatever <laughs> or queen right. nefertiti <laughs> untrue there's a study i don't remember as a woman as a, as a clinical psychologist in uh, uh in the us during the 80s and i don't remember the name now but she looked at as many as ten thousand reports yeah. of uh hypnotic regressions and she studiously noted Was it, uh, louise ireland frey the name doesn't ring the bell okay okay i know there were anyhow, several like you said from that time period but go ahead what what
what what she did what she did was to um, for each regression to note the alleged time period information about activity uh, clothes age uh, socio-economic distribution and blah blah and then she brought this data to historians who essentially confirmed everything the right. gender balance at different periods epochs in human history the number of people who were rich and who were poor corresponds mm -hmm. exactly to the number of people who report having been rich or poor and blah blah the activities the clothing very intriguing very interesting right and people don't realize that until recently the masses of people lived in anonymity there is no yeah. way very very infrequently would you be able to say to find that person even if they gave you a full name because people lived out their lives yeah 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 with oh, no notation record, no record no no, no, no records none but that doesn't mean it didn't happen though although although i you certainly know of the division of perceptual studies of the university of virginia originally created and headed for many years by professor ian stevenson and is over 100 so 1000 cases of uh children who remember past life memories and he went to extraordinary lengths to right. document and verify these memories there's one book 20 cases suggestive of reincarnation is very heavy going because it's really it's a completely scientific book is but, but wow i mean it's right incredible. i want to say the first introduction i had to that briefly because i know you have to go is i i, I don't know if you're familiar with it a dr weiss wrote it back in the 80s yeah, many absolutely. lives many masters uh -huh, uh -huh. And uh -huh. he describes at the beginning how he was not not no belief whatsoever. In I have, any I of have the book here. Yes, no, no, yes. absolutely, extraordinary. And uh, it, he, I consider that a very good book because again, he came from a point of origin that he did not expect or believe in any of this. Nothing. nothing On the contrary, nothing. he even thought that she was like he let her go through her hypnosis, thinking, "Okay, we'll just that's yeah. her imagination." <laughs> Again, Dr. Perosetti, I want to thank you so much for spending this time. It has been absolutely wonderful to have you here. Likewise. And I would love to have you come back in the future when we contact you. Uh, please, and I'm going to have yes. a link uh -huh. of your website on the credits of the show. But for my Marvelous. podcast, that's if you could lovely. repeat again your website yes. address. That's DR. That's my, my family name, which is Parisetti, with the mm -hmm. prefix DR, drparisetti.com very good excellent and are you i mean, no, i'm going to be premature in this are you thinking of other books uh yes and no but i mean it, it would be ah i would have a very small readership i think because i would like to popularize something like 100 scientific studies that fly in the face of materialism something like that you know oh, that sounds great to, I know, but I mean, how many people would be interested in that? I don't you know. know I don't know. You want me to tell you what I think? I think that in the face of so much technology, human beings always yearn for the spiritual. Yeah. They Because we no, are true. spiritual that's beings. That's true. We are so, indeed. Yes. I, I do hope that you go ahead and write it eventually. And I want to wish you the best of luck. Are you individually on Facebook, Marlene? No. 
and no. I stopped okay. being on Fine. Facebook no because I was okay. spending too much time. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know exactly. I was already proposing a friendship there, so okay. I was, and 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 I stopped myself. I have been on there for many, many years. Yeah, no, no, I understand you perfectly well. Listen, it has been a great, great pleasure. Uh, Likewise. Please do share a link to the show. Yes. Uh, yes, when, I will. When that'll be. I'll, I'll be. I'll put it on my website. And anytime you want me back, contact me. It's such a pleasure speaking to you. Likewise. Take care. And yourself. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Wow. Let me tell you. <laughs> like always, I could talk to him for hours. And we could tell we just touched on the little, the, 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 the basically the uh, basically very lightly on the book and what he's worked on. And I mean, he's been involved in this. And like I said, I remember back in the seventies with reading about Dr. Moody and um, the, well, that's basically where the term near death experience NDE came from and coming from a doctor, I think, and I hate to say this, but you think of him as a trained observer. And like I said, he wasn't looking to prove one, one, one thing one way or the other. He was basing it on his experience as a doctor where he was having uh, patients describe this and this. And I imagine after a while, or, you know, or he's heard other doctors say that, that um, and after a while you realize these people, you know, have no connection, but they're basically describing the same event. And I know that there was one uh, time that there were certain doctors that were saying, no, you know, people, that tunnel and the light and all that, that's, that's produced by certain things that are happening in the brain. And I believe they even had one part where they had, you know, somebody that they were pressing different parts of their brain, you know, when people are conscious. Uh, and they would be describing similar uh, to near-death experience. And they were saying, no, you know, this is, People that have these visions of these near-death experiences, it's just parts of their brain being triggered and whatever's going on with them. But the problem comes in when people having near-death experiences were describing conversations and seeing people in another room down the hall, and let's say in a hospital, uh, where how could you be lying, let's say, in an emergency room or, 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 or an operating room um, because, you know, people, of course, they, they describe, you know, where they're in looking down on maybe the doctors working on them or if there's a surgery. Some people say, well, you know, they people that, you know, your hearing's going on and basically you're filling in the blanks visually of what's going on. But it still doesn't explain how people that would have that, let's say, over the overlooking their body would be able to go down the hall or into another room and describe, you know, what people, maybe family members were wearing or conversations. <laughs> I mean, come on. So in other words, this kind of defeated that, how can I say that explanation um, as far as the near-death experience being something just produced by your maybe your brain in distress or whatever the case might be or or we could even say at this point because now that the near-death experience has become more popularized that you could say well people are describing what they think 
they should be experiencing because of that near-death experience. It's, you know, everybody's heard about it, the tunnel and the light and this and that. Again, uh, there's something there that doesn't jive again because if we just bring it down to our bodies organically, our brains, which by the way, I was floored. I was floored when he said that thing about basically the brain being dead. No, nothing, nothing blah, blah, going on. And people are still experiencing near death. And I was like, what? Because to me, I always thought that, yes, your heart could stop. But as long as your brain was working, you know, basically you were still alive. And, you know, sometimes they resuscitate people. They, you know, they, they basically shock your heart into pumping again or somebody does CPR. But your brain is still active. You know, and as a matter of fact, I heard that part of the part of CPR is to keep your heart and your thing pumping so your brain keeps getting oxygen. So, you know, until maybe other measures can be done. And I I, I, I couldn't believe that about um, people being basically their brain not registering anything and experiencing near death. <laughs> That's incredible. That is incredible. And being brought back. Because again, and and I'm thinking to myself, maybe once upon a time, you know, people sometimes you could uh, be resuscitated. But now I know that they have, you know, let's say, for example, more people now know how to perform CPR or at least a basic type of CPR. Um, with uh, television, people, you know, hear about, hey, people drown or uh, people choking, Heimlich, you know, all these things that before once upon a time, it didn't happen unless something happened to you and you were lucky enough to be next to a doctor, maybe somebody that knew chances are that they couldn't resuscitate you. All right. Or even now when you have paramedics that will respond uh, because, you know, once upon a time, all you had was an ambulance who would try to get you to the hospital where the doctors were like right away. But now you have firemen and paramedics that when they show up, you know, they can start basically trying to keep you alive or administering certain drugs of course, um, communicating with a doctor to help get you to the hands of the doctors so that they can keep working on you. Once upon a time, they didn't have even that. So that's why I wondered, you know, do you have more cases of near death where people that once upon a time would have died, like absolutely died. There was no bringing them back. Uh, now they're they're saved. You know, they're, they, they, there's a way to get them that, like I said, the, the air, the clear their passageways, all these things that we've learned, um, you know, because I remember, um, I mean, I learned CPR, you know, in, um, during part of my work, but I, I remember when, uh, I had my children, they were very small. I went and I took a specific course just to do CPR to children because it's a little bit different when you have to do it to children. Because I was so with my with my kids that I wanted to know that. And my when I was growing up, they, they there was nothing like that being taught or parents were learning about that. You know, unless you were a doctor or something like that. CPR, I mean, yeah, you knew to try to save your child, but as far as, you know, how to do it, let's say to children and adults and all. That's what I'm saying as far as modern times. There's there's things that we understand that we could do to prolong life as far as to help that person not die um and that what he described where 
um, again, begs the question, you know, what he said as far as everybody thinks that your, I don't know if you want to call it self-awareness, self-awareness lies in your brain. And once your brain is gone, bye. Apparently that's not the case. <laughs> Can you imagine all these people <laughs> that have um, basically paid to have their heads, their brains, um, put away in a, I think they're basically iced so that, you know, they've been sick or they're dying or something and they've, they're paying, they've paid to basically keep their bodies. I, I believe it's only the head or the brain, the head as in uh, alive, not alive, but in, how can I say it? Uh, preserved so that in the future they could be brought back to life or maybe that there are going to be certain advances in medicine where they will be cured or, I don't know, reattached to a body. I don't know. I, I'm not sure exactly how that works. Uh, or if their whole body. Can you imagine? You're thinking it's all in the, about the brain. and <laughs> It turns out it's not. <laughs> wow. And I had heard, what was it? God. I can't remember if I heard it or I read it, but sometimes I get mixed up in that. I read there's so much research where there was a guy. No, I'll tell you what it was. It was something I heard. And he described where he worked for a funeral home. This gentleman worked for a funeral home and he was sent to pick up a body or a person that had died, but this person had orders to basically, he, he had paid to preserve his body, all right? They were going to do everything where they preserve the body. Uh, you know, there's certain conditions. I, I'm not too familiar with it. Uh, anyway, he, he, he paid for that, and this guy picks up the body. Apparently, it was like middle of the night, this gentleman passes away, and... The next thing he knows, he says that, you know, like a hearse kind of thing. He sees this guy, like he hears him talking, like what's going on. And he says, he's like, he's by himself. Basically, to make a long story short, he starts hearing this man that just died, wicked out because he can't, he's realizing that his body is dead, but that he has still has that self-awareness of like, and almost like he could hear the guy and he says that he was almost ready to jump out of the car and leave it. And he had never had that experience. He says <clears throat> that basically this man uh, realized after the fact, well, you think um, that probably after the money he paid, <laughs> after the money he paid, maybe, which I believe it's, it's, uh, it's up there as far as what you pay when you, um, when you want to preserve your body, God, what is the word for it? Oh, I, the, it's, it slips from my mind right now. I know, I know there's a term specifically for when you preserve your body right after death for basically for resuscitation later, whatever. Uh, can you imagine after maybe you've paid, because I'm sure that it's like you got to pay up front on that, um, find out when you're dead, you're dead. And that, yeah, they could preserve your body. 
or your brain or whatever, but the you that's you, the spirit, your soul, it's not there. It's like, what's going on? Wow. You know what? I wonder what the sales pitch is on stuff like that. I know people will say, Marlene, you know, how do you convince somebody spend thousands of dollars? Okay. And um, uh, what's the, I'm, I, now I'm like, I'm, I'm going crazy trying to think of the term. Uh, no, not embalming. Cryonics. There we go. God, Marlene. Cryonics. All right. And this is according to Wikipedia. All right. And it's okay because it's not a big technical thing here. Cryonics is the low temperature freezing usually at negative 196 degrees Celsius. A storage of a human corpse or severed head with a speculative hope that resurrection may be possible in the futures. Cryonics is regarded with skepticism within the mainstream scientific community. It is generally viewed as a pseudoscience and its practice has been characterized as quackery. They've got a picture of somebody being preserved. Preparations in 1985. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, how do you sell that to somebody? Because you're thinking at what point, I mean, this is the future, like depending, I imagine if you've got something and I imagine maybe there might be even people that are not really sick to just they did they, they get old and they die, but it's like I don't want to die. I want to keep on living. I like this life. But by the way, when you bring me back, get me a nice new body. Uh yeah. That leads you that that that's real deep down the rabbit hole as far as where does this stop as in the physical body and this us, the spiritual self person begin you know when do they divide all right and i think that what dr persetti was saying is that i think that all of us at some point fear loss of identity loss of who we are you know and it's good to hear like what he said that there's a process where you they kind of like let you do it slowly like I said, where you realize um, I'm human, I'm so-and-so, but all these things that I needed to live my life on that plane, I don't need that anymore because I don't have a body. The need for shelter, warmth, food, clothing, um, the, you know, the possessiveness that we have of like, that's mine, my house, my wife, my husband, my this, my that. You know, that sometimes, depending on your personality, because, you know, there's personalities that are more possessive than other or more ground. I don't know what you want to call it for, for you to arrive at that moment where you realize none of that really matters anymore because I don't need it and I don't want it. I don't desire it. How's that? Because you can tell yourself you don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need it. But if you don't believe that you don't need it, it doesn't matter. It's to the comes to the acceptance that you realize you understand it. None of those things I had when I was this person doesn't matter. I, do, I, don't, um, I don't need it. I don't want it. Okay. I don't want it because it, there's no attraction there. That attraction that binds us to these things when we're incarnated as we are, like 
this is not there. It's like, and I want to say maybe in some cases when you think of people, discarnates that are bound to the earth plane, it's almost like that desire is like a ball and chain on them. Like he was made that metaphor about the bubble rising, but maybe that bubble can't rise because there's a ball and chain where this person, the spirit, whatever, still doesn't understand or want to accept or because of circumstances or their personality or a combination of all, what they, that desire is still there. They can't, they, they don't want to let it go. They can't let it go. Uh, so basically they're a human spirit without a body trying to live a human life on this plane and it just doesn't work. And some spirits, I imagine they takes a while for them to get there because you can't be wanting to be an incarnated being and be the bubble that rises to the top. You know, those two things just don't square. And then of course we get into, um, you know, what are ghosts? Are these trapped souls? Are these souls that are confused? Uh, don't understand exactly, fearful of what what's, awaits them maybe because maybe they've been brought up through religious beliefs or God knows that, you know, when you die, if you've been a bad person, uh, you're going to pay. You're going to be punished for it. You know, in other words, you escaped it in this lifetime, but eventually, or even what he was describing of as karma, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm sure um, even, uh, you know, you would hear, not, not so much now because it doesn't happen now, but, you know, when, um, let's say when the Catholic Church, that you could uh, basically pay to have prayers done for you. And uh, for lack of a better word, you try to buy forgiveness, especially when you were older and you realized, you know what? Chances are, I was a real scumbag a few years ago when I was younger, but now I hear death knocking on the door and I don't want to go to the hot place. So I'm going to pay uh, for favors, whether it's prayers, masses, intercessions, um, you name it, uh, donations, to the, uh, whatever, so that I'm going to make sure the pearly gates open for me. <laughs> but that right there is that kind of thinking where, what if you have been that kind of person and you died suddenly? In other words, no time to prepare to make up for, boy, was I bad. Let me, let me try to mend my ways. Something comes, death comes to you suddenly, unexpectedly. There is no moment for you to change. And you think, based on what I've done, there's only one place I'm going to end up at. Is it the, is this the personality that holds back? Saying, this is not the best place. I'm not really happy. As a matter of fact, it, it's awful. But I fear more of going to hell. Because uh, there's... It, it, I, I want to say that in... Um, 
most cultures or religions or ethnicities, even if they don't call it hell, even when you read these stories about the ancient Egyptians where they would weigh your heart on a scale and a feather, basically, in other words, the message has always been that in the end, in the afterlife, as in that transition period, you're going to get judged appropriate to who or what you did when you were alive. And, um, and I could definitely see that as something to, to make a, a person, a spirit say, I don't understand exactly what's happened, but I'm very afraid. Fear is a very good deterrent, by the way. And also fear will motivate us as humans. Because remember, at that point, you're still that human being that you were when you were an incarnated being with all the fears and desires. It's only when you let go of that that you can basically ascend. But yeah, we all can get stuck. And then, of course, that's where you get into all these different... Um, communications uh you know through people that are mediums uh things of that nature where uh sometimes they there's mediums that contrary to what people think that you know you're just going to get a communication from a spirit that doesn't say your loved ones you know a lot of mediums if you listen to especially when they're not aware of their powers that they'll have like a they'll have like a a, a line of dead people coming into their bedrooms a lot of those dead people, not all the time do they really want, it's not that they want to pass on a message, is that they, sometimes all they need is they either one, to be acknowledged, somebody to hear this, or number two, for somebody to tell them, uh, you can you can see me, can hear me, I, what happened? I, you know, I remember this, but I don't remember anything else. And I just, I'm like lost. I can't understand what happened to me. Um. And, 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 I, and I suspect that in some cases, this person probably knows that they're dead. But that's sometimes, especially if, you, if you're resistant to it, uh, if you're not ready, if let's say you were young and you were like, that's not fair. You know, you just you, you do this thing in your head where I'm not going to accept that. I'm, that that's, the, that's the door I'm not going to go through. And sometimes that's when medium, sometimes they get bombarded with all these um, spirits, discarnates, all of them, of course, wanting to go to the front of the line, elbow the next one out of the way to say a message, to find out, hey, you can see me, you can hear me, what happened? I don't get it, you know, I was coming down the road and this happened or, you know, hey, I need to tell you what happened to me. Oh, whatever. I'm sure a lot of you have heard stories about people who are mediums, who even from childhood, they start getting visited uh, with, with sometimes seeing horrible things, uh, or in, in some cases, depending also on their receptivity, experiencing what were the physical symptoms of this person before they died, whether they were sick, or maybe there was some type of trauma, or something that they can actually feel it in their body. And you, know, you hear a lot of times where, um, because sometimes they, you know, they want to use your body. So now that's a whole nother show. But again, guys, I hope you love uh, this interview with Dr. Parasetti. The subject I think is fascinating. Um, I have a lot of great guests coming on. Again, if you want to find links to the shows, 
to the MP3 files, to the podcast platforms, depending on which ones you go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com. And if you just want to listen to the podcast version without commercial interruptions, I have links there where you can either listen to the podcast or the, you know, on the browser or download the MP3 file without commercial interruptions. Because of course, once you listen to it through the different platforms, some of them, they, you know, they do have commercial breaks and so on. Um, if you have any stories, any questions, send them to Marlene at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Again, remember, I have two other podcast series, which is Supernatural Storytime, uh, which is scary stories like campfire stories, stuff like that. Nightshade Diary, uh, nice, which you can find at NightshadeDiary.com, which is basically me narrating different classic horror and adventure stories. And uh, I will do my plug right now for my new book that's coming out, which is the one after this. Yes, after this, which is film noir murders number two which the actual title is hot damn on a cold slab and um basically it's true crime it's true crime um about different types of crimes that were committed murders uh some of them are really interesting and they're all true and um this is these most of these uh, were in that range of years between the first and second world wars uh, and, uh, again, I, I find it fascinating because this is when law enforcement was starting to look at different methods of solving crime. And of course, this was long, long before, um, long before DNA, you know, genetic material, anything like that. So basically mo nine times out of 10, the most they had to go on was fingerprints and maybe blood type, depending on when, and even then it's incredible. But uh, I think you're going to like it. If you're into the true crime, it's the book for you. And I'm hoping to release it September 9th, but I'll give updates on that. And again, guys, I want to thank you so much for being part of my audience. I think that you are all absolutely wonderful. And again, thank you for coming back every week. See you next week.